Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Creaky Chair Film Podcast, the show where we discuss all things film, old favourites and new releases, from classic monster movies to Japanese keiju, from King Kong to Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. My name is Michael Brooks, I'm here with my co-hosts Sam Oliver and Bill King. Hello! Hello! This week we are going to be talking about the new Amy Poehler teen comedy Moxie, uh, which is new to Netflix uh, this month. Uh, before that, though, we're going to be talking about some uh, some news items from the week just past. I've got one to start us off with. Uh, so, which Hollywood actor made a bit of a stir on social media this week with his unintentional, or it could have been intentional, uh, unintentionally hilarious interview for the Sunday Times and their A Day A Life in the Day feature? Such lines in this feature included, I chant for 20 minutes every day, religiously. I'll read a bit of Buddhism and then I'll type it up and add it to my Instagram stories. And during COVID, I started building Lego again. Which Hollywood actor do you think this was? Who's this life of the day? I mean, I, I, I know who this is. Bill, do, do, do you know or do you have any guesses? Well, it, it doesn't sound like Russell Crowe. Ah, oh, it is Russell Crowe. He loves building Lego and smashing <laughs> it afterwards. <laughs> writing down He's his changed. Chance. No, I don't. I don't know who that is. I hope. I'm really hoping this isn't an actor I like because that doesn't sound like someone I do would like. It's Legolas himself, Orlando Bloom. Oh no, I I do have a soft spot for Orlando Bloom. I, I mean, mean, to be fair, I read that. I read that in a day, in, and I feel like it sounds like a pretty chill time. Like, it sounds like he's living a pretty great life. Yeah, there's some bits of it that are very Patrick Bateman, aren't there? Um, so I've got some some other choice quotes from it, where he says, I have a smart ring sleep tracker, and the first thing I do is look at the app to see if I've had a good sleep and check my readiness for the day. Uh, and then, I like to earn my breakfast, so I'll just have some green powders that I mix with brain octane oil, a collagen powder for my hair and nails, and some protein. God, now that you've mentioned it sounds like Patrick Bateman, I literally can't not see it in a Patrick Bateman way. That's uh... Yeah, I'm 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 oh, worried about him. I'm worried gosh, about him. Wow. Go to our go to our Twitter feed uh, where we posted the full piece and it's alongside uh, Tom Hollander's which is equally brilliant. Tom Hollander, what does he have a similar similar sort of lifestyle to Orlando Bloom? He does, but it's the, the interview is is very much more uh, self-mocking. You can tell it's intentionally supposed to be funny, whereas with Orlando Bloom, you're just not quite sure. <laughs> Gosh. So, what, what? Sorry, what's the purpose of these features? Is it just to tell you what you get up to each day? Uh, yeah, just uh, you know your average day in the life of these these characters. What a kind of boring idea, like. Yeah. Do you remember seeing that thing a while ago where it was like what Mark Wahlberg's workout routine is? And it was like, <laughs> get up at 4am to do some exercise and then have a quick pray and then mm-hmm. go to sleep again, then do some golf. And then at 7am you like eat, I don't know, just an entire elephant or something. But didn't they work out there wasn't enough hours in the day for what he was doing? And he was like saying, plays an entire um, 18 holes of golf in like two minutes. <laughs> like Warburg, I don't think that's physically possible. Then half an hour of wait. Yeah. There's another article I've got to point you towards. I know I've enjoyed it the past. Um, Robert Battinson, when he was um, oh. in lockdown, and uh, he started, He yeah, he was going slightly insane, and um, he got him in trouble, apparently, with studio execs, because he admitted he wasn't doing any training for playing Batman. But he had, um, he's, he's come up with this way of doing takeaway pasta, 
um, which doesn't work, um, but it is incredibly entertaining article. Is this basically like the thing where you're saying you wrap it in foil and put it in the microwave, which I'm pretty sure you're literally told not to do when you're a kid. <laughs> yeah, and he does it, and the person on the phone, and then I think a small fire breaks out or something. Um... <laughs> I mean, I've got nothing but time for Robert Pattinson. Got nothing but time for him. Also this week, the Oscar nominations were released. So David Fincher's Mank is leading the pack with 10 nominations. Uh, the organisers are also keen to emphasise that uh, as a means of tackling the poor ratings of other award ceremonies held recently, it will be in person. There'll be no Zoom. Uh, it's going to be held in two separate locations, which is a bit weird. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. Uh, and everyone has to dress up as normal. Uh, so, yeah, what did you think about these these nominations, uh, Kind of a little bummed out that I've not seen many of the films um, and I don't really know how to watch many of the films. So I don't really have any views on it, but I guess it's exciting. They're dressing up. Wonder what Orlando Bloom's going to wear. I think Orlando Bloom's going to be making his own outfit if he's deserved and has earned breakfast that day. He'll put on a nice, nice outfit together. Out of Lego. <laughs> Lego and green powder. Um, I think like the, the, the ones that I've seen that are nominated, I've... I've enjoyed and had it like I watched um Minari which is getting a lot of good nominations um I saw that I think it was being shown as part of like the Glasgow Film Festival they did like a whole at home series and you could like rent it for a certain amount of money and I watched it on that and that's a delightful film and I'm really glad to see that that's getting a lot of great nominations it's also you know nice that the Oscars is having such a diverse list of nominees that's pretty good that it's not all just the same slightly boring white people winning you know being nominated for awards but yeah there's just a lot of stuff that I'm constantly googling being like when can I watch Nomadland how do I how do I watch Judas and the Black Messiah when is Sound of Metal coming out in the UK like it's just a lot of and I think this happens every year with the Oscars I just find myself going I think I'd enjoy this a lot more if I actually could have watched any of these films I was quite surprised I don't know about you but looking through Tenet doesn't seem to have much of a uh, any sort of recognition at all. I think it's like nominated for two in the in technical categories. Is that an oversight or is that? I think it's it's coming from a different time zone, so it's going to get nominated in like nineteen ninety four Oscars or something. Um, that's my reading of it anyway. <laughs> Look back through nominations in the past, and you're like, I don't remember John David Washington winning Best Actor, but there you go. Like, it must have happened. <laughs> yeah, it's given to actually Denzel. Denzel gets another Oscar early on uh, for John. At David. the same time it's, as his Malcolm X Oscar. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's going to be weird, but um, yeah, I, I guess it's a very divisive film. Oh, there's um, I watched a film the other day that's been nominated for best documentary, um, the one uh, Crip Camp. I watched that. That's on Netflix and is a real delight. It's uh, heartbreaking and heartwarming in equal measure. And yeah, that's available on Netflix. So if you want to get a nice head on when that gets nominated, I know best documentary isn't is hardly the one that they're all getting dressed up for, but you know. I'd recommend it. It's nice. Well, there we go. We can. I'm sure everyone will be looking forward to tuning into the Oscars this year, if not just to watch them all looking incredibly pissed off and you know asked to turn up in person. And... <laughs> I wonder if they'll all be wearing masks. Oh yeah, glittery bejeweled masks. <laughs> I mean, that would be interesting. It, yeah, but that takes away from the fake smiles that they all do when they lose. I, I want to see that. I want to see the uh, the lips shaking. Surely they should all wear those like perspex shields so they can still see their beautifully made up faces, but then you can also see them be like, oh, fuck, when they don't win. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this week we are going to be talking about the uh, Moxie, the new teen comedy drama directed by Amy Poehler. 
It's adapted from the novel by Jennifer Matthew. Uh, it stars Hadley Robinson as an introverted 16-year-old who becomes fed up with the sexist and derogatory environment at a high school. Uh, there's the usual clique of brash jocks, chief among them the captain of the football team, played by Patrick Schwarzenegger. Uh, and there are lists that go around social media of which girl has the best ass, who's the most bangable, etc. Uh, she then discovers that her mum, played by Amy Poehler, uh, was a rebellious feminist in her youth. Uh, and so inspired by the uh, the riot girl music scene, she starts uh, an anonymous zine, uh, which she uses to call out this toxic status quo at her school. And it quickly grows in notoriety around the school. Various girls rally behind it as a, as a movement. Um, all the while being unaware she is Moxie. Sam, do you want to let us know what you thought of this film? Yeah, of course. Um, so obviously, as soon as um, Moxie started, my first concern was that it was going to be really difficult for me to talk about The Lighthouse, having watched Moxie. I thought it'd be a very tough film to list back to The Lighthouse. But once I got past that, you know, I got down to it. And I think... Ultimately, I think Moxie is, it's not a perfect film. There is definitely some, there's some issues with the kind of story. I think there's a few things that are explored on a very kind of surface level. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of a little bit glossed over. It can be incredibly heavy handed at times. I think there's a lot of stuff that it really rams home its points on more than one occasion. But I think kind of, for me personally, like despite those kind of flaws, I think it is a really kind of fun teen coming of age movie. And more so than that, I think it is a really, it's it's really interesting to see the kind of teen coming of age genre be used for a bit of a, not for a bit of a, sorry, to be used to kind of get across a very sort of important message and to get across its idea. And it very much wears its heart on its sleeve, which I really liked. It's much like a lot of the rebel girl bands that she gets into. It's incredibly unapologetic and is totally kind of brash and over and, you know, enthusiastic and passionate in its feminism, which is a great thing to see, especially for a film like this, that if you think of a lot of high school teen kind of dramas, doesn't you see a lot of those things of, you know, the brash jocks that are objectifying women and a lot of the kind of awful toxicness of the teachers but I think to see a film that does that but then kind of talks about that and makes a big big point about that and really kind of offers up kind of some kind of alternatives to that that way of being I think it's really interesting um it's definitely kind of not necessarily as funny as I was expecting I think especially because Amy Poehler who's got a quite a good comedy background was involved in it I was expecting it to be a little bit more funny um but it's. I don't know if either of you have seen Amy Poehler's other film she directed, Wine Country, but this is a thousand times better than Wine Country, which I thought was a real crap film. Sorry, Amy Poehler. Yeah, so I think there's definitely films that I've seen recently that have done this sort of like high school thing a little bit better and kind of exploring the experience that women have in that very kind of formative time of their life. Um, stuff like Lady Bird, Eighth Grade and Booksmart, I think kind of do what this film does, but in a slightly more subtle and kind of interesting way. But generally speaking, I think it's a really fun movie. I think it's very much something that I've not kind of not seen before. And it's tackling a lot of issues that I think are incredibly important. And I think should be kind of tackled in a way that they're going to be seen by people that might not have been exposed to this sort of thing before. I think, you know, whilst watching it, I was thinking about all the people that are probably of an age that the film is aimed towards that, it's either kind of giving 
a voice to some emotions and feelings that they have. Or it might be, you know, it's like some of the sexist jocks that are on the football team. I can imagine some people watching this and being like, oh, I need to kind of sit up and pay attention a bit more and put myself out. So yeah, I think there's definitely some flaws to the film, but overall I think it's it was I had a lot of fun with it and I think it's totally kind of totally worth worth your time. And also um the dreamy guy that she falls in love with, the skateboarding guy Seth is literally what I wish I was like at high school. Like that first bit where you see him and he's skating around campus, I was like he's literally what I'd like what I wish I'd been when I was back at school. So. Bill, what did you think? I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, th- I think it's important for a film like this that, um, as as Sam says, it's trying to make a point and make you um, view things from maybe a different angle. That it's important that the the film's enjoyable as well, and I think it it did that. Uh, I thought the characters were really likable, um, quite nuanced as well. There was the, some of the characters went in directions I didn't expect. Um, you know, there was a, a classic trope of falling out with your best friend, but it was done in a nuanced fashion in that they both they both sort of had a point um you know it wasn't it wasn't black and white on that side of things i think it was interesting as well watching it as a bloke who went to school um about like certain double standards i'd not thought about that even though it's set in an american school certainly happened in in the school i well we went to um you know the, the thing about um uniforms and what girls could wear and uh, how they were expected to dress compared to what what guys were expected to wear. Um, what admittedly is not something I'd ever really thought about, but is obviously a really valid point and a pretty pretty shocking bit of bit of sexism, really. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was it was sort of kind of a, almost a John Hughes sort of vibe. I'd imagine this would be the, that sort of film, um, like kind of quite updated and updated with these issues that do need talking about. I thought it um, it achieved that. I thought the beginning, because I, I went in thinking, you know, it's a teen comedy. Um, the opening scene really was unexpected. Um, and I was like, well, am I watching something very different here? Um, I won't spoil it, but... You know, I thought Amy Poehler's direction was pretty unflashy, apart from that part where I was thinking, wow, okay, uh, I'd like you to make something quite different next time. Because <laughs> that was cool. It was a cool little idea and really well executed. Um, I liked I liked the journey the central character went through, um, you know, from the introvert into this, this, uh, this activist. But then it did that thorough line of the character whilst also putting in a little bit of the fact that most teenagers go through a phase of acting like a shit at some point <laughs> and uh, and she did uh, which i think is really realistic um because yeah i don't think there's any teenager that just uh, just does a lot of growing up without having that uh, that acting like a bit of a knob period of your life um but you know i thought it was i thought it was quite uh, towards the end i got got a bit fired up it was quite powerful um especially when the stakes started getting raised yeah i i I thought there was there was some bits again a little bit heavy handed, but I, I yeah moved past it. It's quite an incendiary topic. Um, I don't mind it. I think my only real issue with it is um, the guy taking a girl on a date to a funeral parlor. Um, I think that's a bit weird. Um, and I tried that once, and I didn't get a second date, so I didn't. That's unrealistic in my view. Were they alive? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Um, yeah, aside from that, um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think uh, 
I think it's worth a watch if you like a film that deals with issues, but you want to have a good time as well. Um, yeah, I, I would recommend it. Sorry, I just wanted to say a quick point off of one of your points, Bill. The characters are very likable and they kind of go on good journeys. And I think on the flip side of that, um, Patrick Schwarzenegger, who plays like the head jock, is perfectly cast as he's an absolutely loathsome, hateable figure. And again, without kind of giving too much away, like you really do grow quite quickly to just hate the very ground that he walks on. And I think he perfectly kind of is like a really good vessel for sort of all of the things that the Moxie team are kind of fighting against. I think he's perfectly cast as that sort of, yeah, you're just sitting there being like, oh, somebody needs to punch him directly in the face, please, as soon as possible. Is that Schwarzenegger's actual son, or has he just got the same name? Yeah, no, it is, yeah. Can you not tell? There's a very definite likeness. I I didn't notice. I'm, I'm sort of expecting Schwarzenegger to have like half of a metal face or something, but I suppose his son's not a robot. Um, so yeah, but yeah. Didn't give it away when he was playing, kept playing football and kept yelling, I'll be back after he went and got a touchdown. Oh, yes. But, um... Yes. And the bit where he smeared cold mud on himself to hide from that alien. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. All these spoilers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Mike? Well, apologies for starting on a bit of a nostalgia trip, but uh, given that you've already mentioned the school that we went to, and yes, for readers, uh, listeners rather, who, are, who don't know us, we, we grew up and went to the same school. It took me right back to uh, you know when it goes when it starts bringing in the the vote contest. I don't know whether you remember this, but do you remember the time when there was a there was a similar vote for for head boy, uh, and the clear favourite was the name in no names, the popular captain of the rugby team, uh, and we decided to rally behind the much less popular, much less athletic candidate, and actually got him quite close to victory, much to the consternation of the teachers at the time. And it it, it was just I'd forgotten all about that, and this film brought that all back the injustice of it and the uh yeah do you remember that that was fantastic we came close we came very yeah. close didn't we yeah oh wow yeah it was like a guerrilla political movement wasn't it oh, beautiful. <laughs> it wasn't quite as dramatic as the film i must say no. but uh <laughs> oh yes yeah <laughs> so a couple of po- pods ago i i remember bemoaning these films about people in their declining years uh, and now there being quite a few of these uh going around at the moment so first of all i thought it was great to watch a film that was aimed squarely at and about young people it was pitching itself squarely on one side of the you know so-called culture war um and you know it's about as relevant as it gets isn't it quite tragically so in light of recent events i mean i went into it not expecting too much at all i didn't really know anything about it and i can safely say i thoroughly enjoyed it i thought it was excellent and i think i probably enjoyed it Maybe a little bit more than, than both of you. I don't know. I I watched it on a Friday night with a few beers and I just had a thoroughly good time. I thought that, you know, there was, I get what you mean, Sam, about it not being quite as funny as, as you perhaps would have would have expected. I thought there was there was quite a few small little sight gags and a few sort of subtle quips that really did make me laugh out loud. There's a long line of films this obviously draws on. Uh, John Hughes, as you mentioned, but the sort of obvious touchstone perhaps was Mean Girls from... 2004 it almost feels like mm. that now belongs to a sort of completely different world i mean mean girls obviously sought to make quite a few sort of important points as it's a sort of subtext but i guess in the sort of post me too movement a film like this was it was definitely not shying away at all from making the making those difficult points and it also didn't feel to me like it was it, it felt pressured to rush at any point there were quite a few scenes where it felt like it was comfortably taking its time and it wasn't sort of succumbing to the need to 
to be overly tightly edited to keep the gags coming in. I quite like that, the way it was. there was some breathing space in there. For example, I particularly like the scene in the house party where there's a sort of single tracking shot as they wander around the house looking for who they might know, and they're feeling very awkward, and you know, there's this kind of a conversation, are you having fun? Are you? Yeah, oh, well, I am then. You know, that sort of, I quite like that, the way that it followed them around the house. Uh, like, like you've said, so many of the characters felt, well-drawn, really likeable, really solid performances, some great music in there. Um, and yeah, I agree with what, what you've said, you know, it's addressing important themes in a, a relatable and entertaining way, you know, and obviously, you know, as, as three white males in their early thirties, we perhaps aren't in a best position to judge, but, you know, like you were saying, Sam, I thought that this would probably be quite an empowering film to watch as a, you know, as a teenage girl and, you know, and teenage boys would be well advised to watch it as well. It, it really had that had that kind of liberatory celebratory energy to it i i so i loved it and i yeah if it doesn't appear in my favorite films at the end of the year I'll, it will have been a very good year do you know what I'd, i think i'd like to just say now that i think maybe I, I don't want to give across the impression that i didn't enjoy this film i think maybe i was trying to be a bit too clever in talking about it because i did really enjoy this film like i think you've both really hit the nail on the head that like it's that classic kind of John Hughesy style, Mean Girlsy style, but like updated for 2021, and it's really, yeah, I had a great time watching it, and I didn't want to give across the idea that I didn't have a great time watching it because I did have a great time watching it. <laughs> I think you're fair in your assessment that some of it is quite can be quite heavy-handed, especially towards the end, and I think that yeah, I think it will definitely it will definitely draw that criticism from quite a number of people, perhaps who who aren't its target audience. It also just reminds me, like a lot of those kind of American high school films, that like American high school looks awful. Like I know obviously, you know, we all went to the same, we all, we've all had high school experiences and we've all been to college and, but I don't know, whenever I watch those sort of films, I'm just sort of like, this looks so much more intense than what we had to go through. (laughs) Well, here you go. Is there any film set in an American high school that you thought, I wish I'd gone there? No. Because I can't think of one. Like, you know, you enjoy the films, but some of the classics, you know, The Breakfast Club, mm. you know, the, the the principal in that, he's a git, yeah. and that janitor's freaky. Um, there's, yeah, I, I think there's, I can't think of one, really, where I'm thinking, oh, I wish I'd, I wish I'd gone to that school. And this, yeah, this one, yeah, really, really um, plays up the, the sheer horror of that. Um, and, you know, the, the, uh, the, the the it all being based mm. around the football um the college football thing that they're going to and and just the just the they have to watch the <laughs> news reports um yeah it, it just sounds it just looks absolutely horrifying um but yeah it, that that's why this this underground sort of uh, guerrilla warfare that they're they're forced to uh, to engage in it kind of works because it seems like they're living in this horrible um, mm-hmm. state controlled situation and they've got no freedom really um, so yeah I, I I did I it did fire me up I did I did like go on yeah it was it was good that. Also, I think, Michael, you made a really good point in, I know it was very a specific thing that happened to us nostalgically at school, but I think what a lot of what this, what Moxie does that a lot of good teen dramas do, even though obviously we didn't go to an American high school, I did find myself going like, oh, I remember when this happened at school. I remember, oh, that's very similar to this lesson that I used to have. And I think like the that relatability, even though obviously it's this film set in 2021 and we went to school in whenever whatever year it was when we went to school like it's really it's got a lot of like universality to it which i think is really really engaging i'm aware i might be projecting my own sort of cultural theories on this but it did make me wonder and whether it was intentional or not but 
so much of our cultural baggage now in in 2021 is is kind of from our parents generation and and generation x as well there's there's so much of it that is kind of around and that we still you know i imagine the youth of today are still sort of immersed in so it stuck out for me really how this this 16 year old character she feels a sense of identity and rebellious awakening from discovering the band bikini kill which i imagine is very much a formative band for people of Amy Poehler's generation, as opposed to discovering something new and fresh for her generation. You know, it, it was something about that speaks to a wider phenomenon for me of like strange, this strange cultural nostalgia that we're all living in. Oh, that's a good point. I never, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah, well, I think that's interesting. I think as well, it's I, I do happen to think that films, especially popular films, do influence the way you feel you should act and and grow up. And I, I think that this film. Um, it could be quite important, as you say, for for young people watching it and going right. It's, it's not. It's flipping the stereotypes of the the high school jock, the popular cheerleader. Um, and as I said earlier, the characters are all quite nuanced, and they don't necessarily do what you expect them to do or be who you expect them to be. Which you know is a good uh, a good um, moral lesson to learn from it. But I, I would say it's not. You know, I'm given the idea that the film's just a massive lecture. I don't. I didn't think it was. It was. It was all. It all seemed to progress quite naturally. You know, till it got to the ending when you know you sort of on rails and it's 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 got to be a bit grandstanding. Um, but yeah, I thought I I thought it did that that did that quite well. It didn't didn't really feel like I was sat there getting getting talked at. Great. Well, that was I think three thumbs up from the Creaky Chair panel. Second for second week in a row. Two weeks, two films, three thumbs up. What a result. I love film. <laughs> oh, this is such a nice. We're on. Do you know what? Much like Moxie, we're on the rails now. We're just going straight down it. We've got. We know what we're doing. <laughs> the days of Malcolm and Maria are in the past. Yeah. Who even remembers yeah. Capone anymore? Nah. <laughs> when Creaky Chair is ashes, you have my permission to subscribe. Okay, so what else did we watch this week? Sam, do you want to let us know what else what else did you watch? Capone again or <laughs> So I just watch Capone every day now to remind myself that things could be a lot worse. Um just kidding. Um in fact actually, Michael, your intro perfectly set up for one thing I watched this week, which is 2016's Shin Godzilla, which is the like a, a Japanese reboot of Godzilla that is um directed by I'm sorry if I pronounced this badly, Hideaki Anno, who's a filmmaker that's done a lot of anime in uh, Japan, obviously, uh, most notable being Neon Genesis Evangelion. I think I pronounced that right. I might not have. And this is an absolute blast of a Godzilla movie. You Obviously, it gives you everything that you want from a big kaiju monster movie. Um, But with Shin Godzilla has the real added bonus of a lot of genuinely really funny contrasting bureaucratic scenes because a lot of the other so obviously you get all of the Godzilla smashing things up and a lot of really good sort of action pieces but you also get lots of scenes of these very officious Japanese bureaucratic decisions being made so you get amazing contrast scenes where there's all these very officious looking Japanese government people that are setting up a committee to talk about the committee about whether they can do this thing that's going to potentially change this thing. And then they contrast that with footage of Godzilla just smashing up loads of stuff. It's a really 
a really fun, fun movie, but it's also very funny. And I think I don't quite understand the nuances of Japanese politics, obviously, but there's a real kind of intense kind of political message in this about kind of that idea of bureaucracy that I suppose you can we can link back to sort of a lot of government's responses to like coronavirus being a bit like oh no we've got to talk to these people first then we've got to wait for this committee to come back with their findings and I think this film in the form of a massive crazy over-the-top Godzilla movie gives you these kind of ideas of like bureaucracy gone mad sort of thing and also like I said there's bits of Godzilla smashing things that are just some of the best Godzilla smashing thing scenes I've seen. It's an absolute, if you're looking for a Godzilla movie, you cannot go, you can't, can't do much better than Shin Godzilla. It's, it ticks all my boxes. Beautiful. And I think you can rent it on prime or something. So what year did you say this was? Uh, 2016. So it's a super mm. recent one. Um, so it might've been kind of in response to, do you reckon there was any sort of allusions to the, the Fukushima nuclear disaster? Oh, which I think was a few years before that, wasn't it? Oh yeah, of course. De- yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of with all, just when you say about all the bureau- bureaucracy and all the failings. Oh, definitely. Like, like I say, like there's, they, they really kind of play up that whole idea of there's a lot of those sort of scenes that kind of remind you of the West Wing of people walking down corridors to go to a, there's even there's a great scene where there's like three junior aides that are walking down a corridor talking about how they have to go to another meeting to get another committee to say yes to another committee that's going to say whether or not people can get evacuated sort of thing so it's just a really great kind of ludicrous thing that could only happen in like a Godzilla movie but again I think with a lot of I didn't really think about that Fukushima idea, but yeah, a lot of sort of, I'm imagining parallels between kind of contemporary politics sort of thing, but you get to see Godzilla smash things. So tick, tick, tick. Shin Godzilla. <laughs> I love the Toho Godzilla films because they do what you just said. They they have crazy giant lizard trashing cities, but they're all so born of their time. Um, so, you know, the original film was a reaction to Hiroshima and, and the, the, you know, the cultural processing of, of mm-hmm. that and and throughout the history of the films they are always reacting to the, the the state of the world in some way but they're also crazy and have you know giant robots and and, and it's just yeah they're so ludicrously entertaining so yeah i'm looking forward to that one and i'll watch that oh, I'd, I'd i'd highly recommend it i think if there's if there's even a slight part of you that likes the idea of seeing godzilla destroy a building shin godzilla is the creme de la creme like uh, that like you mentioned bill that first original Godzilla is one of my all-time faves and this is obviously not as good as the original but it's a real great it's as good as I think it's really Godzilla god bless him (laughs) nothing will keep him down maybe King Kong (laughs) we'll see Bill what have you been watching this week um I I I did it boys I uh I watched the Snyder Cut of Justice League Uh, yeah all all four hours all four (laughs) hours of it Took one, took one for the team. Eh? They said the age of heroes would never come again. Um, yeah, I, I think right off the bat, it is better than the Whedon cut. Um, the Whedon cut is this Frankenstein's monster of them getting a, a movie that was three quarters of the way complete and Whedon coming in and trying to make it into a, a, a cheap knockoff of uh, what Marvel do with the Avengers. And, you know, the Whedon cut is jarring. It has weird quips it's too bright doesn't really make sense um and it's just a a nothing it's just a bad film the snyder cut 
which just to just to give you some history again, so uh, Zack Snyder left production of the film uh, due to a family tragedy. Um, and he left it about three quarters of the way complete. And then the Warner Brothers um, decided to bring in Whedon. Zack Snyder disowned the uh, subsequent Whedon cut and always had this Snyder cut and fans wanted to see it. And they petitioned and they've made it happen, which is which is an interesting, interesting thing to happen with Hollywood. I don't think it's ever happened before, really, with a with a studio getting under so much pressure to stump up some more money to complete the filming and film new scenes. And a lot of the stuff Snyder had shot needed a lot of effects work, which costs a lot of time and effort and money. And they did it. So the Snyder Cut. It is a better film. It makes sense. It is a singular vision and it's very Zack Snyder. Whether you enjoy it or not is probably down to whether you enjoy Zack Snyder films. I personally don't. They're not really my thing. Um, I think he's done some good stuff. I really liked his Dawn of the Dead. Quite enjoyed 300 and Watchmen had its moments. This is peak Snyder, though, in that it's four hours long. Uh, I, I think even if he'd finished his cut, the studio wouldn't have allowed him to release a four-hour film in cinemas. This is long. And it's got all the classic Snyder stuff in, you know. it's A lot of it seems like it's perfume ads starring Aquaman. There's beautifully shot stuff. Beautifully <laughs> shot stuff. But it's uh, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. You know, it's it's got... A, Nick Cave on the soundtrack, which must be, you know, the first time for a superhero film, but I'm not sure it really, really fits. It's very operatic. It's very indulgent. It's very poet faced, but it's also, it's, it's quite nice to see in that it's obviously a very personal film for Snyder after what happened with his, his family tragedy. And it's quite, quite, I don't know. It gave me a warm feeling that the guy was able to put the film out there, even though I didn't personally like it. I'm quite happy that I'm able to see it as he intended. And it's really interesting in the the central storyline and many many scenes i'd say most of the scenes are pretty similar to the whedon cut but they are edited in a different way slightly different dialogue and they look so different and it's better it's just better from that because it is a director's vision it's not this hodgepodge of directing by committee i mean god it he does his snyder stuff i mean it, he, he loves his slow-mo and there is some slow-mo and then the flash comes along and his power is like going really fast so everything goes even slower so it's like it's it's like super 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 slow-mo um and a lot of the film a lot of the scenes look like cutscenes for a xbox game that i'd really like to play um but but it's not a marvel knockoff it's very different um, it deals with some pretty weighty themes. It's very serious. Um, it's it's shot in a in a four three aspect ratio, which puts you in mind of, of sort of Oscar contenders. Um, I think he did that to do with an IMAX release that obviously n- never happened. It's a film made where he didn't have to compromise. It seems um, this one, so you get to see it through all the way through. And yeah, personally, it wasn't for me, but I'm very f- happy for the fans, and I'm very happy for Zack Snyder. And I think if you've got any interest in seeing how two different directors um, and and producers can have take the same raw footage and turn it into two completely different films, it's quite fascinating. From that, I will say as an addendum, there is. Um, there is a scene, an epilogue scene with Batman and the Joker. And I'm a big fan of Batman and Joker. I think they're amazing characters and they've got such rich history. And yeah, it doesn't work for me. It's uh, some of the lines in it are quite, um, yeah, out there. And it doesn't really <laughs> stack up to, uh, to 
recent meetings between those two chums. But to see how two different directors can take the same footage and come up with two totally different films, yeah, I found it very, very interesting to watch that. And where can you watch this? Uh, so I got it on Now TV, but if you want, just um, sign up for the seven days um, free trial and then cancel it because Rupert Murdoch's a prick. You you will need seven days to get through it. I've I've started watching this, and um, I think it's in it's in parts, which I thought was a very interesting kind of decision to make. Like there's a lot of people saying lines, the screen going black, and then it being like, part three, Batman has a really nice time. It's a, a bit of a an odd choice, but yeah, I'm only halfway through it. And it, yeah, I feel like I'm going to agree with nearly everything that you're saying. I was going to make a really, you've already made the joke, but I was going to make a really great joke about it wouldn't be four hours long if Zack Snyder didn't love slow-mo so much because I feel like that's all that's happened so far is just endless slow-mo. And also a lot of people that I've talked to about it that are really into sort of DC stuff have said like, oh, it's so great because it really fleshes out the characters a lot more and it gives you a lot more backstory to what's happening. And it just feels like, yeah, if you give any film like an extra two and a half hours, they're going to flesh things out a little bit more. Like I didn't particularly care for the David Brent movie, but I'm sure if Ricky Gervais had an extra two and a half hours to play with, maybe I'd like him at some point. Like. I don't know. <laughs> you were kind of, it was like you were just watching a live stream of Batman's life, and it turns out a lot of it, you know, could do with editing it down. I just don't understand. I just don't understand it. You have four hours. I mean, you know, you could you could watch Tarkovsky's Andrei Rublev in, in that time, or Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac parts one and two. Go watch that instead. <laughs> we got to give the people what they want. <laughs> Episode 50, we can talk about Tarkovsky. Yes, very well. Okay, well, yeah. That's Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League. What have you watched this week, Michael? What have I watched this week? Uh, oh, uh, I watched uh, the, the 1979 dystopian action thriller The Warriors, uh, a film that I watched uh, years ago and had kind of forgotten all about and decided to rewatch it. Very different type of team movie uh, from uh, what we were discussing earlier and earlier on. Uh, it's yeah, rightly held up as one of the iconic cult classics of the 70s. Uh, it's directed by Walter Hill, uh, who had previously made Hard Times and The Driver. Basic premise is it's set in New York City on a night in which uh, a midnight summit in the Bronx is called of all the main gangs. Uh, and this goes wrong. So the leader of the most powerful gang who's called the summit, he's assassinated and the warriors are framed. And they then have to try and get back to their home turf, Coney Island, with all the various other gangs being on the lookout for them. They're being hunted. It's hard not to love this film. I was completely swept up with its charms and the adrenaline of the action. It's it's kind of knowingly hilarious as well. I mean, I was really laughing out loud. I mean, the, the various costumes of the gangs. I mean, they're just walking around wearing these ridiculous purple vests. I mean, <laughs> look. Um, and, you know, some of the dialogue is just so bad, and some of the act, some of the acting as well. The, some of the performances are just <laughs> howlingly bad. Um, but it is, yeah, it's great fun. I mean, it really. It really captures how grimy and how threatening New York City was at that time. Um, it feels like this violent jungle, the graffiti-strewn streets and the foreboding subway stations. Uh, you know, it kind of feels like Taxi Driver crossed with the Lost Boys. Um, <laughs> but it's it's got everything you want, really. You know, it's got that sort of kind of simple moral order of the warrior gang. It's got the gloriously violent set pieces. It's got a cracking soundtrack and a punch-the-air ending. Uh, I can well understand why this would be such a popular sort of late night 
movie, you know, um, watch it with a load of beers and with a group of mates. And I don't think you could go wrong. Uh, so that's the warriors. It's available on DVD. Uh, it's available to stream for, I think two two forty nine on Amazon, YouTube and various other platforms as well. I think I watched it on now TV as well. So I think it's on there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Got nothing but time for the Warriors. And um, one of my favorite things about watching the Warriors is trying to work out what gang I'd join based on what their outfits are. I think that's so much part <laughs> of my fun watching it being like, oh, look at those guys. Like they've got really cool jackets or like, oh, they have to be like shirtless. I don't think I'll join that gang sort of thing. It's just the like the costume design in that film is sensational. Like I, every time I watch it, there's a new sort of like what a, what a fun jacket or like, oh. Right. Can you dig it? Um, you know, it's interesting. We're just talking about comic book movies because I feel like The Warriors feels like a comic book movie because, as you said about mm. like the outlandish characters, the uh, the crazy costumes, all the bright colors, and the the premise. You know that they've just got to get across this city. That, as you said, Mike, it's like this war zone. I love it. I think it's just brilliant. I think it's an excellent film. Great action premise. Um, yeah, it's not <laughs> the very very ropey moments. Very yeah, very interesting line of dialogue and, and characters but yeah it's just it's just gloriously entertaining isn't it and uh, yeah pretty joyous film come out and play yay. i think that makes it all the more fun i think the the, the naffa some of the bits are and like that bit when they're fighting the baseball furies and that guy's like i'm gonna shove that bat up your ass like a popsicle stick it's like <laughs> it should be really lame but you're just like oh i'm so caught up in this stupid movie i'm having a great time <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, that was what else we watched this week. Uh, next week, uh, hot off the heels of its 10 Oscar nominations, we will be discussing David Fincher's film Mank uh, about the development of the screenplay for Citizen Kane. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Uh, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media. Uh, by the time this pod goes out as well, it'll be too late, but off the back of a Twitter DJ sat for The Social in central London, we have put together a mega Spotify playlist of obscure and classic film music uh, there's nearly six hours to get stuck into and we'll no doubt be be continuing to add to it as well so we'll post links to that on our on our site and on social media that's six hours of bangers guys six hours of bangers that's like two more hours than Zack Snyder's Justice League. Make your, make your own soundtrack for Justice League by putting on our bangers from films playlist. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll speak to you again next week. Thank you Sam. Thank you Bill. Bye. Have a beautiful time. Thanks, mate.